our series, our, our theme for this year is life as a church, and we've gone through what that means, and I've explained what that means, uh, what it means when we say life as a church, and it's all about the, the connection between your life and the church and what that should be, and I unapologetically stand as a local church believer and a local church pastor. Uh, because I believe the local church is God's way of reaching the world in, in our generation. It has been since the first generation, since the first century after Christ's death, and I believe it continues today. That's why every book of the Bible points to the local church, and Jesus himself told us that the church is what he will use as the vehicle to reach the world. Obviously, it's those members of the local church working through uh, the power of God, but it's the connection of the local church that really uh, makes things go. So we're talking about making that connection and making that, uh, investing your life and allowing the church to invest in you. And bring, last week we talked about the life-church symbiosis, right? Big word, simply how, how life and church come together and how it, they blend together. That's what it should be. This week we're going to be talking about the life-church influence. The life-church influence. We all have influences in our lives, period, correct? There are, all, there are things that influence you. Uh, since, since most everybody in here didn't have a, a dog in the hunt last Sunday in the Super Bowl. You had to figure out some, some way of having an interest in the game to have somebody to root for, right? And uh, maybe, it was, maybe, it was the, uh, maybe it was the commercials. My, my, uh, I enjoyed some of the commercials. The Smart Pock, right? That was a little too close to home, <laughs> right? Um, I liked the Groundhog Day commercial. That was absolutely my favorite because the Super Bowl was on Groundhog's Day. I thought it was very clever, and Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies of all time. So. Uh, but uh, you had to find a reason, and there were influences. Maybe you were influenced by Patrick Mahomes and his amazing ability to elude captors in the backfield. Uh, my influence was the fact that as a Rams fan, I am an, my arch nemesis in football is the 49ers, and you never want your arch nemesis to win anything. So I pulled for the Chiefs. But there are influences in our lives in, in everything. There's influences in your life of, of uh, what you like to eat and, and why you like to eat. You know, maybe your parents traumatized you about vegetables. And I know in our home, uh, my sister Susan can attest to this, it was liver, right? Liver. Susan, how many hours did we spend at the dinner table? And since my sister, she doesn't look it, she doesn't look it, but my sister Susan is older than me. I'm actually the baby of the family, okay? All right? But my sister Susan was my example, and she was my influence. And because Susan wouldn't eat liver, Amen. and it, it sat there, then it sat on my plate. And my dad was the type of, was the type of, was the type of father that said, you're going to sit there and eat your dinner, and you'll stay there. And liver is horrible. <laughs> But cold liver, oh my gosh, what in the world? I look back and I think, it's a really good thing for my parents' generation that DCF didn't exist. Right? I'm serious. Making your kids eat liver. It traumatized me to liver. Seriously. 
But it's a good thing we had dogs, right? So, right? But we all have influences in our lives that cause us to make choices. And, be, and, and sometimes the influence is so great that it causes us to become who we become. But we're going to talk about the life church influence today. And how church, and remember, when we talk about the church, we're not talking about the building. We're talking about the people because we make up the church. We make up the body. It's a brilliant, uh, brilliant illustration that the Bible uses of the, 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 the church being a body because the body is human and the body of Christ is made up of humans. So when it comes down to the life church influence, it truly is the influences on your life in the church. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning of verse 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I love that turn of phrase there in the last verse, that you may know the love of God which surpasses knowledge. You know what that means? That simply means that you will spend the rest of your life, if you want to walk with Jesus Christ and you commit to walking with Jesus Christ, you will spend the rest of your life trying to understand and wrap your mind around and get your arms around the love of God. The more you get to know it and the closer you get to him, the more you find out that there is to know. We, uh, we're going through the process right now, uh, many of you know, uh, of buying a house. And we, we want that security. It's time for me to provide that security for my family. And I never dreamed I'd be able to buy a house. Truly, I never, never thought I would. And literally, from the time we decided that we wanted to buy a house until the time that we put in an offer, had an accepted offer, and um, signed the purchase and sale agreement, was about nine days. Now, that doesn't usually happen. And with me, that would never happen because I would never get things done that quickly. Aaron, a little bit different. Aaron is on top of everything. But what that tells me, here's what, they, here's what the whole process tells me. And I, I know people say, don't jinx it. And I'm not trying to. Uh, if God doesn't want us to go through, something will stop it. I just ask that you pray that his will will be done and that the final uh, mortgage will go through and we're waiting on our taxes to come back for the down payment. All that, all that happens. We've even got a closing date. But... Um, but, what? I didn't know you were telling me. Yes, I did. I was telling people about it. But you know what that tells me? You know what all of it tells me? It doesn't tell me that, uh, I'm, that, that I'm such a wonderful guy. It doesn't tell me that, that uh, we have uh, friends that are, that are willing to work with us. It tells me this. God loves me more than I can imagine. That's exactly what it tells me. It tells me that God loves me more than I, more than I even knew before. Because he has worked things out in my life and in my family's life so that we can have something that, quite honestly, I never dreamed I could do for my family. I want to spend the rest of my life 
understanding the love of God. I want to spend the rest of my life trying to pursue and grasp how much God loves me, how much God loves you, and how much God loves this world and what it truly meant for him to lay down his life for everybody. Now, while it's true that relationships build churches, and if you've been here for more than a week or two, you've, you've heard that phrase. We use that a lot. Relationships build churches. And it's true that relationships build churches. It's just as true that relationships can destroy churches and destroy people. How many of you remember when you were a teenager, your parents, maybe, maybe you don't have to raise your hands because your parents might be watching on uh, Facebook or they might be in here. But how many of you remember when you were a teenager, your parents forbidding you from hanging out with such and such, right? Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why? Because they're just not good people. He's, he's a bad kid. Susan, he's a bad kid. Right? <laughs> Not knowing that the family down the street said, don't hang out with that Susan Chase. <laughs> right? But our parents warned us, didn't they? Yeah. Our parents warned us about who to allow into your life as a good or bad influence. And when you got to that dating age <laughs> and your friends would tell you, no, 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 no. He's a player, right? But, but I just, ah, look at those eyes. Right? Right? But how many of you, how many of you know somebody who wouldn't listen to good advice and went down the wrong road because they allowed somebody into their life that was bad for them, right? We all know people like that. And truth be told, many of us are that person. Well, as difficult as it might be to accept and as strange as it might sound, the right influences and the wrong influences exist in churches as well. As a youth pastor, I, out in Missouri, I had a total, total student ministries of a little over 300 kids, and I was, directly, I was directly in the high school class, and I had over 80 students in my high school youth, uh, youth department. And there were some really good kids, really good kids. And uh, they had great family support. But then there were those kids that every church youth group has that their mom and dad have to drag them by their lips out of the house, get them to church, and they just sit there in the back. And they're like, sitting there. They're the ones that when you have a handout for Sunday school, they write stupid messages on it and leave it there so that you can read it. Those were the kids I was attracted to as the youth pastor because I knew that those kids were on the edge of a knife. And whichever way they went would determine the way other kids went. And it was my responsibility as the youth pastor of that church to be the good influence in their life and to draw them to Jesus, even if it meant that I had to go to juvenile jail to sit down and talk with them. In church, even, 
It's vitally important that we understand what relationships in church are supposed to be about. If we truly say relationships build churches, well then folks, let's build relationships that build churches. And in order to do that, we need to know what the Bible says about building relationships. The Bible gives us examples of great friendships that built uh, both members of the relationship. I mean, if you know the story of David and Jonathan, David and Jonathan in the Old Testament, oh my goodness, what a friendship, right? What a friendship. So, what, what strikes me so much about the David and Jonathan friendship is that Jonathan was the son of the king, and he knew that the kingdom had been taken from his father, and David was going to be the next. So Jonathan knew that he was going to have to be taken out of the picture for God's prophecy to be fulfilled. Yet he built a relationship with David and facilitated David growing in wisdom and grace and knowledge of God and also in how to be a future king. That's a powerful relationship. Truly <laughs> sacrificial, where he says, I must, I'm going to have to lose what is dear to me in order for God's plan to go forward. That's a powerful, powerful friendship. Naomi and Ruth. Many of you at your, in your weddings, you, you might have had added into the vows uh, Ruth's powerful statement to Naomi. Remember, Naomi uh, was Ruth's mother-in-law, and her son died, and, now, and, and her husband died. Now Naomi was going to go back, and she was going to send Ruth back to her, her homeland. And she said, Ruth said no. Ruth was, Naomi was such a good influence and was such a dear friend to her. Ruth said, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And, and the book of Ruth is all about the, the, uh, the, the principle of the kinsman redeemer, which is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and paying the price for our sins. Powerful, powerful relationship. In the New Testament, we see a great example of friendship between Paul and Timothy. Paul, the, the wizened warrior of God, the man who could sit down and, and take on a, a crowd of people in a, in a discussion, come and let us reason together while well, Paul could reason with the best of them. Taking young Timothy under his wing and teaching Timothy all about what it meant, not just to be a Christian, not just to be a man of God, but to be a leader of God. We also see in the word some negative examples, Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, who combined and decided and schemed together to lie to, the, to, to God. The Bible said they lied to the Holy Spirit and they misrepresented what they were doing and what happened. They were both struck dead in the same day. And then, if you go on, Paul writes about two young men, Hymenius and Alexander. We don't know what they did, but we do know this. Paul, a man who invested in, in other individuals, and Paul who gave his life to invest and to build others up, said, 
I give Hymenius and Alexander over to Satan that they will learn not to blaspheme. I look at that relationship and I wonder, who was the one who was the influence? And what would have happened if those men would have connected with somebody else? If Hymenius wouldn't have befriended Alexander and they would have, would have really grabbed onto other individuals who are strong, strong leaders or strong believers in the church, would that have changed their path? You see, if we're give our lives to the cause of Christ and we're going to be involved in a local church, with that local church come relationships. And if we are going to say that relationships build churches, then we need to allow relationships to build us in our faith. And we need to be willing to use our relationships to build others in their faith. Relationships in a church are vital. The influence they have is important. Jesus designed the church to be a place where individuals were to be able to join into the body and learn and grow in their faith through the teaching and application of the Bible, but also through the building and nurturing of good, solid, godly relationships with other believers in the church. The idea of learning and growing in our faith through relationships in church is, in my estimation, a genius idea from God. And I know God doesn't need me to clap for him or give him a pat on the back, but I really look at that and I say, man, what a great idea, right? What a great idea. It's modeled in the business world. Many of you who may have been at your job for, for many years, you're a mentor, right? They use it, as, you, 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 you are used as mentors to bring others along and to help them. Maybe, uh, maybe kid, uh, young people are learning how to uh, do a trade, learning, learning a trade, and you're mentoring them along. That's relationships and relationship building. And the, the more open the mentor is to receiving the student into their life and to invest in them, the more solid that student is going to be in what they learn and know, and they're going to grow and become better at what they do. And you know, the mentor in that situation, they're benefiting from it as well. Because we all know that as we go along in time, uh, Josh is a roofer. I'm sure that Josh could do a roof by himself quicker than he could do it with my help. Because he's done it for so long that he's got all the routine and everything. But if he's going to teach somebody else how to do that job, well, then he's going to have to slow down and he's going to have to go through the basics all over again. And it may remind him of things that he had just forgotten and make him better at his job as well. So it's beneficial to both parties. It's the same way in the church. If you're a discipler and you're discipling somebody, well, you're bringing them along in the basics of the faith, but it's also taking you back to what you learned. As I disciple people, I have flashbacks to Bible college days and sitting and listening to a professor teach on the topic that I'm teaching and going through that with that disciple, the, the, the disciple at that time. And it reminds me of the solid basics of my faith. So relationships in the church need to be mutually beneficial. We might be at different levels at di and different times in our lives, but our experiences in life in general are the same. And what we go through 
are things that we can learn from and help others through. And what we're going through in our life is something we can lean on someone else for. Some of you young moms who are trying to learn how to balance uh, marriage and motherhood and maybe work, things like that. We have two women sitting in the very back row that are amazing examples of godly womanhood. My mother and Joan LaPrade. And if you want to know how to be a godly woman in this, in this day and age, how to overcome, how to have a strong marriage, how to raise good kids, how to keep your testimony in a difficult world, sit down and talk with them. Oh, they don't get me. Oh, that generation. Uh, they're still here. <laughs> they survived. They thrived. And we'd be foolish not to take advantage of the wisdom of those who are going through it. I, I mention this quite often, and I'll just I'll say this because I'm very transparent about our lives. Uh, my sons, uh, we were watching, have you, anybody seen the movie Harriet? About Harriet Tubman? Great movie, great movie. It's about the Underground Railroad. It's about a 10-year period of her life. It's great, great movie. Um, but it's very, um, very in your face very honest about things that went on. And they use the N-word in that movie. Well, we're sitting and watching that movie, and my two boys, Gabriel and Michael, I think it was Gabriel, said, Daddy, what does that word mean? So we stopped the movie, and I said, that's a derogatory term that people use about people who have dark skin. And it's not a nice thing. And they're saying it because they're trying to insult them and make them feel bad and trying to make them seem like they're better than them and that people with dark skin are worse than them. I said, we never use that word because it's a bad word to use and it's uh, nasty and it's mean to say. I said, why? And both Gabriel and Michael said, well, somebody called me that last week in school. Oh, I didn't know I was going to be needing to teach a life lesson to my sons about that. What I wanted to say is, sarcastically, <laughs> guys, you need to go back to them and say, right, Lewis, hey, man, we're Puerto Rican. If you're going to give a, you use a racial slur, you, at least use the right one. <laughs> right? Seriously. So true. You, right? Right? So you want to insult us Puerto Ricans? There's a word people use for us. It is. So get it right. It but it broke my heart that my boys are, just because they have dark skin, are, are going through that. So what did I do? I, I called my mentor in race relations, Melvin Edwards. And I said, Melvin. It's a path I've never walked. Yes, I was born in Puerto Rico. Yes, I'm considered Puerto Rican by birth. But if you haven't noticed, I'm lily white. <laughs> okay? Just, just so you'll know, all right? The color in my skin is tattoos. So I don't know. And I, I was raised on Navy bases. And that kind of thing just didn't really exist. In, on naval bases when I was a kid because you don't usually insult the guy that's going to be next to you in a, in a firefight, right? You want him on your team. <laughs> so I talked with Melvin and Melvin, uh, as a great mentor will, says, this is what you need to do and this is how you should handle this.
So in my life, in this church, I have a great relationship with a man who can make me a better father to two boys of color growing up in a town that doesn't necessarily like people of different colored skin. You see, those kind of issues dealing, and, and it's godly advice he gives me, by the way, those kind of issues that we all go through in life are issues that we can talk to others about in church because those are issues that other people go through in church. If you want to understand, and while we're on that vein, let me just go ahead and follow that through. If you want to understand what it is about, what, what it means to be uh, black in America, if you want to understand why there is that tension, and if you want to be a person that helps break that tension and is part of the solution and not part of the problem, sit down and talk with some of these people of color and have a, be, but, but let me tell you, if you want to sit down and talk with them, be ready to have an honest conversation about it. Because let me tell you, it ain't always pretty. It ain't always pretty. Am I right? And I, I'm sure that our brothers and sisters in Christ, people who will we, we will be spending eternity with, I think God has a sense of humor. And some of these good old boys down in the southern states who wouldn't let a black person walk into their church but claim Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to be parked right next door, right in the middle <laughs> of a neighborhood of people of color. You were nasty. Here you go. This is your eternity, brother. Sit down and talk with them. Find out what their struggle is all about and find out what it really means. And see how you can be better in church because we're committed to, be, to, to being a church that welcomes everybody regardless of skin color. And see what it means. See what that truly means to be open to everyone. Now, At the same time, developing those relationships in church is difficult because it requires us to be open and vulnerable, right? And some of you are open people. Some of you are open books, right? You got no problem. Then there are those of us like me who, nope, nope, there's a limit. There's a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a very reserved, shy person. And I don't, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not an open person like that. It's tough for me to allow people into my life. It really is. I'm just, just being honest. I have to work at that because I know that if I don't work at that, then I'm not going to allow people into my life who are beneficial for me. And I'm not going to grow. And I'm not going to become a better man, a better father, a better husband, and a better pastor. I have pastors that I talk with. I've got a few mentors in my life that I talk with. One is my father. Another, a couple of them are retired pastors who have been through the wars of ministry. And I have to be very open to them and very honest about what's going on. And I get their advice. And sometimes they say, you know, John, you probably should have handled it this way. Or I've had, I've had them look at me with eyes this big and say, brother, you need to, you need to shut that down quick because that's cancer. And that will destroy a church. 
And I have to be willing to be open and honest about my life and about what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with so that I can learn. So do you. If church is going to be an influence in your life, it cannot simply be an hour and a half on Sunday morning. There have to be connections. There's a reason why God brought you here. There's a reason why God brought other people here. And there's a reason why you're starting to make connections and build relationships. And it's so that you can become a better follower of Christ in every aspect of your life and so that you can help others become better followers of Christ in every aspect of their lives. It's tough because you have to be open and vulnerable, but it's very, very worth it. It, relies, it requires us to choose a level of openness and honesty that not everyone is comfortable with, but that is very necessary to grow. God tells us from the very beginning of the human race that it's important for us to grow in our faith with others. How do we know that? Because after God created everything and then he created Adam, he said it's not good that man should be alone. And he created Eve. And Adam had a friend. Right? God knows it's not good for us, if we're, especially if we're going to follow him as our Savior and, and make him the Lord of our life. He knows that it's not good for us to be alone, even though that's exactly where we might want to be half the time. He knows that it's important for us to have relationships in our lives, and it's incredibly important for us to have those relationships within our church. But what's even more important is that we have the right relationships in our life and in our church. This morning, I want to share a couple things with you about that. Church is an influence in your life. The kind of influence it has is for you to decide. The kind of influence that church and relationships in the church have for you and have on you is, is for you to decide. The first thing I want to look at is this. Church is a source of light to help you in your walk. The world simply darkens the path. <laughs> Church is supposed to be a source of light for you to light your path, to gain an understanding of what the Word has to say, to gain an understanding of what the Bible is saying, and to learn how to apply it to your lives. Those of you who have mentored people and discipled people down through the years, the hardest thing, I know for me personally, the hardest thing to get people to understand is how to now take what you've learned and apply it. Does that make sense? Take what I've just taught you and put it into action in your life. We're contrary to that in our lives, aren't we? How many of you took algebra? Uh, it. How many of you going through? <laughs> yeah. How many of you going through algebra? <laughs> okay, Zach, you, you're, you know where I'm going before I even. Read. How many of you going through algebra said to your teacher, or mumbled under your breath, or thought in your mind? I am never going to use this in my life, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I took, I took geometry. I got the lowest score in my life. I never told my parents until years, years later when I was in my early 50s. Uh, I used it in a sermon so they couldn't throw anything at me. I got the lowest score in school in my life on a geometry test. I got a 17. <laughs> How do you do that? Just give me a zero for crying out loud. How did I get a 17? What is that? I mean, come on, right? Right? Seriously, man. A 17. Who does that? But 
I'll tell you what. Today, I'm going back on, on Google trying to look up how to do a ge ge uh, geometry, I can't even say it, a, <laughs> a geometry problem to use in something in my life. I wish I would have paid attention. I wish I would have not worried so much about what I didn't think I would use it for in the future and just listen to that person who was trying to teach me something. You see, you may, look, you may listen to what I have to say, or you may be in a Bible study, and you may think, eh, that's not really for me. Learn it. Because that person is, first of all, they're trying to teach it to you, and they're trying to teach it to you for a reason. Because there's going to come a point in your life where you're going to need to apply that in your walk with Christ. It may not look like it now, but man, man, oh man, there's going to come a day when you're going to need it. There truly is. Because church is a source of light to help you in your walk, choose relationships that lighten up your path with godliness rather than those who darken it with sin. Going back to that youth ministry um, illustration, the reason I invested a little bit more and I would go outside of my little time frame to make sure I got to this kid's football game or I got to that concert or got to where I needed to be with that kid that was on the edge of the knife and could go either way is because I wanted them to fall the right way. Because someday they were going to be an influence on somebody. You see, you're going to be an influence in this church one way or the other. You're going to. It's just, it's just the nature of humanity. It's the nature, nature of a church. Are you going to be an influence for good or are you going to be an influence for bad? Are you going to be an influence of light or an influence of darkness? If, if our life is represented by the sin of the world, then we're going to be an example and an influence for darkness. But if our life is centered around Jesus Christ and simply desiring to glorify him, then we're going to influence people for the good. We need to have that kind of influence. C.H. Spurgeon said this, The Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said to us in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. Remember, Jesus came down, and he came down, he said, he said, I am the light of the world. When he came down and spread his message and then died on the cross, that truth transferred from him being the light of the world to you being the light of the world. What did he say in Matthew 5? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill can't be hidden. And when you light a candle... You don't cover it over with a basket. You put it on a stand so that it gives light to everybody in the house. That's what we're called to be, light and not darkness. And that's who we're called to have in our lives, light and not darkness. When it comes to the church, you need to seek out relationships that will build you up in your most holy faith that will challenge you and sharpen you because iron sharpens iron, right? 
I didn't pay attention in science, but I do know that Fe is the periodic table elements symbol for iron. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And I, can I be honest with you? Growing up as a pastor's kid, watching what my dad and mom had to go through, that's not, am I right, Sue? Am I right, Mary? That is not, that is not something I wanted to hear. Because I wanted, I didn't just want to return hate. I wanted to return, and I'll be, I'll be very honest, I wanted to return physical violence. Yep. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I remember walking in one night and seeing my father after a Bible study, after a Wednesday night, laying on the floor because, his, because of his heart and it was because of what other people did to him. And I was out the door getting ready to jump in my car and go pay a visit. I was a 16-year-old kid. What was I going to do? And a, couple, a godly man grabbed me and held me back and spoke peace to my heart. And I remembered that. And over the years, I said, God, I never want to be that way again. Because I've been in church. I've been, spent my life here, and I know how people can be. And I never want to return hate for hate. Never, ever. Truth for truth is one thing, or truth for a lie is one thing, but not hate for hate. Because I always want to keep myself open to reconciliation. I always want to keep myself open to help people come back to Christ. I don't ever want to be a bridge burner. Because burning bridges cuts things off. And I want to leave myself open to be able to either restore myself to somebody because of something I did or allow somebody to be restored back into my life. I never, ever, and I'll use that, that thing I said earlier. If we're true believers in Christ, we're going to have to spend eternity together. I'd rather get a jump on things right now. That's why I work so hard with other pastors to try to get them to understand, I'm not trying to steal your people. I just want us to be friends. Because we're all building the same kingdom, and we're all going to be there for eternity. So let's start getting along now, because the more we get along here on earth, the more people we're going to reach for Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, New Life, the more we get along in here, the more we're going to reach people out there for Jesus Christ. Joyce Meyer said, the Bible says that Christians are the salt of the earth and the light of the world on the job, in the grocery store, even among unsaved friends and family members. God's people are there to bring seasoning to an, to an unsavory situation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, don't become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I don't believe in secondary separation as far as fellowship goes, but I do believe this. I believe that we as believers must exercise discernment and separate ourselves 
as far as the growth of, spirit, of our spiritual, spirituality and our spiritual lives from those who have no desire to follow Jesus Christ in the church. You need to make sure that the people that are influencing you in your walk with Christ are people that have the same goal of growing in the Lord and reaching their community for Jesus Christ. It's vitally important that you can sharpen iron with iron. Steak, T-bone, ribeye, as, as, as good as it may be, Sorry. does not sharpen a knife, does it? It actually dulls it. The more you use a steak knife on, right, Pete? The more you use a knife, pizza, pizza chef, the more you use a sharp knife to do the job it's intended to do, the duller it gets. Make sure that you are putting the proper people in your life that sharpen you in this church, that sharpen you and make you better. It does matter who it is that you allow into the circle of influence in your life and walk with Jesus. Not just anyone should have that kind of access. Quickly, the relationships you cultivate are the relationships that will bear fruit. You know what? We're going to stop right there. All right? We're going to stop right there. I planned on finishing this, but we've got much more to go. And I think these are important things to, that we, we learn and understand. So we're going to stop right there, if that's all right. Unless you want to stay for another 45 minutes. <laughs> 55, right? Folks, it matters. The relationships and the influences you allow in your life in this church are vital for you and vital for this church. It's important that we... Listen, is that, am I, what am I trying to say? Am I trying to say cut people out of your life? No. What I'm saying is have the right people that are the right influence on your life for God. We still need to reach out to those who are, walk, who are not walking with Christ. We still need to reach out to those who don't really care about it because we need to be the influence to them. But when it comes to your walk with Jesus Christ, make sure the ones that you're allowing to have access to your spiritual growth are those who will make you better and help you to grow more as a Christian. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today, be in your house and to dig into your word. God, it is so vital that we have the proper influences in our lives. Lord, you've told us that. We talk about here at New Life that relationships build churches. And Lord, sometimes our catchphrases can just be um, simple things that we just look at and, and let go. But Father, it's so true and so important that relationships do build churches. So if we're going to say that, God, we need to make sure that we are having the proper relationships that build us in our faith and our walk with you. God, I pray that you'll challenge each of us to examine our lives and make sure that we, maybe we don't have, maybe there are people here that don't have that kind of influence in their life. God, I pray that their path will intersect with someone in this church that will help them to be, uh, to, to grow and to sharpen them and to help them be, to go along. I know what it means in my life to have men of faith that I can rely on and go to to help teach me, straighten me out, encourage me. 
So I pray that every individual here that doesn't have that kind of person in their life, God, I pray that you'll bring that person to their life. I pray that they'll recognize it, and I pray that you'll begin that relationship building for them so that they can grow in you. Lord, I pray that our desire will be for you, our hearts will be for you, and that all we do will bring glory to you. As we go from this place this morning, God, would you give us your blessing? Would you watch over us and protect us? And may we go forward as worshipers, missionaries, servants of the Most High God, walking through every open door. Bless us, Lord. In your precious holy name, we pray and ask all these things. Amen.